Hello, welcome to the Radiate Podcast. We're here to connect, encourage, and empower you to radiate the message of Jesus to yourself, your neighbors, and the world. I'm your host, Steve Presswood. Today I'm on the phone with my Radiate Podcast guest, Clay Newton. Clay, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Steve. Clay is an OSU alumni and an Allen Scholar who got his master's at Cambridge in England. He now lives and works in Oklahoma City. Clay, tell our podcast audience a few things about yourself. I'm from Oklahoma City. I grew up in on the east side in a town called Choctaw, uh, but I went to high school in Oklahoma City at Class and School of Advanced Studies. I then went to Oklahoma State for college, where I got a bachelor's in chemical engineering. And then, as you said, I went over to uh, Cambridge to get my master's degree in advanced chemical engineering. Then, once I finished there, I moved back to Oklahoma City. I found a job. I got married to my beautiful wife, Julia. And now I work for the Department of Defense here in Oklahoma City. And I get to work on ejection seats and oxygen systems. And it's a really cool job. I spend most of my time with Julia. She's kind of the focus of my life right now. And I'm loving every second of it. Whether we're playing games, we read or walk together or just talking all throughout the day. Uh, we're involved in NAV20s, and uh, we just have a great community here in our apartment complex where we live. So those are a little bit about me, Steve. Great. Well, Clay, uh, tell us a little about your time going to school at Cambridge. What was it like? What did you do while you were there to take advantage of being in Europe? So the, I'll answer the last one first. Uh, whenever I graduated from Cambridge, I spent two and a half months traveling around Europe because I was already over there. And I really wanted to see all the sites uh, that you hear about and that you see in pictures and on movies and everything like that. In fact, when I'm watching a movie now, um, one of my favorite things to do, I don't think Julia likes it very much, but one of my favorite things to do is to, uh, when I see some place that I've been, I'll just turn to her and say, I've been there. And it's, it's just a blast. And I really enjoyed just being over there. Whenever I was at Cambridge, one of the craziest things about Cambridge is that the whole world is there. There are people from just about every continent, uh, lots of different backgrounds, ethnicities, worldviews, and it was just a huge meshing and melting pot that I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I still have many friends from all over the world that I still keep in contact with. And in fact, we just had a Zoom call with some of them about a month ago. And that's really one of the, the best takeaways. The, the school was fine. I enjoyed it. it. The content was difficult, but fun and challenging. But really, it's the people that made a, a big and lasting impact on me, to be honest. Hmm. Your family experienced a really significant event when you were a young child. As I understand it, a fire totally destroyed your home. Is that correct? And uh, how old were you when that happened? Yes, that's true. We had a house fire when I was in the ninth grade. I was about 15, I think. I know I wasn't driving yet because my dad and I were actually about one mile away from our house when uh, the fire department prevented us from going into the neighborhood uh, because the fire had gotten too close. And so we had a total loss uh, of our house. Everything burned. There was nothing that was salvageable. Fortunately, I wasn't in the house at, my at the time. My sister and my mom were, and they collected some of our pictures and things and were able to get out just in time. It, it was a 
experience for us, for sure. It definitely kind of shaped our, our family at the time. Um, you know, we, we kind of learned how temporary a lot of things are, how easy it is to lose everything that you're used to. I had the clothes on my back, uh, a backpack, and a guitar. And those were everything that I could claim at the time. So it really just taught us, you know, how, how to value things that are important. So I think that's how we grew as a family. We really learned to value each other and people and kind of the things that we lost. Most of them could be upgraded or replaced. So it kind of reminded us that those things don't really hold a lot of lasting value. There really hasn't been, for me at least, a lot of long-term kind of effects or any any issues with it because, like I said, you, most of the things the things that mattered, like my family and even my dog, all made it out. So there was nothing that was permanently lost, really, that matters. It brings up a question in my mind um, that I'd like to ask, and that is COVID-19 has created hardships for everybody. Uh, but I would imagine that having gone through a hardship like that, it helps you to put this particular one in perspective. Would that be true? It's an interesting question because it's in, in many ways the opposite where in the one, you know, we lost our house and now we're stuck in it. And so it's, <laughs> it, it's a little bit of polar opposite from that perspective. But in a lot of ways, yeah, I think uh, when you go through something difficult and you go through something where you kind of realize that the world maybe is bigger than the everyday struggles and the, the things that we can get lost in and, and the kind of tyranny of the urgent is a phrase that I think you well know and, and that I like to say. When we step back from that, we kind of, I think, uh, see what really matters and see what um, we're spending all of our time doing and, and how much um, of a really, I guess, eternal impact does it have. And so that's kind of one of the ways that I, I think they're similar. And yeah, I think anytime you go through uh, something difficult, it helps you be more resilient. If there are more things that come down the pipe, um, it kind of gives you a reference point. You know, it, it's not as bad as, you know, so COVID-19 is not as bad as your house burning down, which is not as bad as probably a lot of things other people have gone through. It's certainly, I'm no um, master at being able to handle tough situations, but I certainly think it it helped, like you said. Yeah. Well, you got married a little less than a year ago now, right? Yep, about six months ago. Okay. So concerning Julia, your wife, uh, what is a quality she possesses that you really like, but which is also radically different from what's in you? I think this is a really easy question to answer. <laughs> um, she is an artist. And she can create. And it's perhaps one of the most wonderful things about her. There's a lot of wonderful things about her, but I'm, I'm going to brag on her art for a little bit. For me, I can remember being in the second grade. And it was a day where we had to do paintings or something artistic. And I had my blank piece of paper and my few colors that I had selected. And I do, drew three vertical lines on the page and I asked if that was it and if I could be done. Well, you used a different crayon for each line so I you did. used there were all the colors. colors. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> that was it. 
And had you completed I, the task, <laughs> I, I was done. I was ready to move on to something else. I think I probably wanted to read a book at that time. I still do, but that, that was definitely what I wanted to do. Um, whereas Julia can just see something in her mind and make it come to life on whatever medium she wants to draw on. She can do traditional painting. She does oil painting and watercolor and acrylic and all of that. She can sculpt and create kind of 3D uh, things, uh, just lots of different things. We have a whole lighthouse that works. So that's got an electrical cord running through it and everything. It's a lamp lighthouse that she created when she was in uh, her ceramics class in, at OU. And she can just create. And it's breathtaking every time that I see it. Mm. I'm continually in awe of how both God has gifted her and how she has taken that gifting and through discipline and hard work, refined it and mastered and honed her talent. And so that that's definitely one of the things I'm most impressed with Julia about and is very radically different from me yeah. if my story was in the indication. That's really funny. So visual arts are also no uh, expertise of mine at all. Did you have to do engineering drawing when you were in college? So fortunately, by the time that I was studying, most of the drawing type activities were, were software based. So you could put drag and drop and, you know, do stuff like that. I actually, so I did chemical engineering and there's not a lot of uh, CAD required in chemical engineering. It's mostly a program called Aspen, which is a chemical process simulator. And so for us, it was a lot of drag and drop of, you know, different vessels or distillation columns or separators or things like that. Yeah, I asked because uh, I had the same mindset, I think, uh, that you have. I can't draw. It's not in my capacities. I have no capability here whatsoever. And when they told me I was going to have to do engineering drawing in college, I thought, okay, this is probably going to uh, kick me out of college. I won't be able to finish an engineering degree. And it turns out that apparently you can actually train people to do things they didn't know they could do. I probably loved engineering drawing as much as any of the classes I took and learned some things about doing 3D uh, depictions on a 2D piece of paper that just blew me away. I couldn't believe I was doing it. And uh, to this day, it remains at least a fascination for me. But I, I probably share your view. Cindy, my wife, is a visual arts kind of person and just does things I don't even understand how to do. And it really is glorious to see. I share your uh, your praise of your wife in that. Well, Clay, I remember one of our earliest meetings. You were a freshman, and I took you to Aspen Coffee in the Lakeview Strip Mall. Do you remember that meeting? I do. I definitely do. Uh, do you remember what you told me? Yes, I do. I remember that I, well, I, the first thing I remember, Steve, is that I thought it was really weird to <laughs> call some guy that I'd never met before and ask if he would meet with me. And so there was actually a lot of uh, fear surrounding that, that I ended up getting over to uh, give you a phone call. And you were very gracious and very willing to uh, meet with a complete stranger. So that, that really helped. But I remember whenever I was starting out and in as a freshman in college, I had just come from high school, obviously, where I was involved with lots of different youth activities and camps. There's Falls Creek, there's Super Summer, there's just about everything that you could do, I did. And I was seen as a leader in my youth group. And at the end of it all, I felt like I'd plateaued. I felt like I hadn't kind of achieved what I thought the Christian life should be. 
and I knew it was out there, but I didn't know how to get it. And so I was kind of frustrated and wondered, you know, is there anything else that is out there that will help me get to the life of following Christ that I think he talks about in the scriptures? And so that's kind of the focus of that conversation. And I remember that when I told you that, you were you had a smile on your face and you said, I think I might be able to help you. Mm. And you started kind of talking about some of the basics of what you know I learned through discipleship and, and as a part of the navigator is just basic things like application of a quiet time or how to have a quiet time even. Some of those basic things were what was lacking to kind of get me to that next level. So you felt like you found what you were looking for? Yes. Yes, I did. Well, you know, I I think there's a risk in talking about stuff like this for some people to misunderstand uh, even what I think or maybe what you're saying about this kind of thing. I think some might assume that uh, the statements we're making are meant to throw the church under the bus. And I, I don't think that at all. What I think is, and I'm really kind of questioning you as I as I say this out loud. Uh, do you agree with this? Um, I kind of think that this is just sort of where a high schooler is. Whatever they may have done, as good as it may have been, there's still an element of ownership of faith that that has not been theirs yet. It probably hasn't uh, gotten to that place. And part of the reason is because just the maturity level of the average high schooler. Not that some high schoolers might not make more progress than others, but I just feel like there's an ownership of your faith that comes with uh, the maturity that happens during college. And uh, all we're doing is, I think, helping that process along. And uh, you were just uh, very engaged as we did that. So, yeah, Steve, I, I think I definitely agree with what you just said. I think maturity level plays a large part in it. But I also think that, and it, it's definitely dependent on where you were raised and kind of the community you were in and it, the specifics of the church. So certainly don't want to broad brush paint any churches or, or anything like that. And I think they're doing a great job. I think that there's a little bit missing in terms, at least in the youth side that I experienced, was kind of the how do we do the things that we talk about? And what I mean by that is it seemed like a lot of the messages had the implication that we should be reading the scriptures, that we should be praying, and that we should be learning more about Christ. And I think those are definitely all true things. But at the same time, I, the practical how do you do those wasn't really ever talked about. It was kind of assumed mm -hmm. that you knew how to do those things. And specifically for me, at least a quiet time. Uh, I kept hearing have a quiet time and I n tried reading the scriptures by just flipping open kind of randomly or even reading through different books. But I never really sat down and learned how to have a quiet time until I got to college and you took the time to kind of step through it with me. So you learned some things while you're here. We basically just kind of lived life together. I shared things that had worked for me to help me grow in my relationship. And I was very late to the game myself. It didn't happen for me until not just post-college, uh, but post-Air uh, Force. So I spent seven years in the Air Force, and it was even after that before I, I got an understanding of what it meant to follow Christ. Uh, so you you figured out some of that stuff as we 
uh, processed life together. And uh, I'm just curious, how have you felt like that's played out in your life since? Some of that, of course, would have happened while you were at college here at OSU, some at Cambridge in some sense. So I got the opportunity to immediately play that out while I was still at college. And when I was a sophomore and a junior and a senior, I got the opportunity to kind of sit on the other side of the table and try to prepare the lesson that we were going to talk about with some guys. And, you know, Steve, you make it look effortless, but it's pretty difficult to set the pace like that. And so I got the opportunity to fail in a community that loved me and encouraged me and said that it was all right and we should keep going. And then by the time I was a senior, I was able to meet with some freshmen and I really felt like I had gotten it down or at least I had started on that path. And that helped me continue. Uh, when I went to Cambridge, I was able to have a discipleship relationship with one individual and influence a few others. But I, I continued that in Cambridge. It was a lot harder whenever I didn't have a community around me that saw the importance and the need for this one-on-one -on -one discipleship and just how much it, it, it matters to people. And so that showed me how much I need community and was one of the biggest factors whenever I decided to move back to the United States. Where did I choose a job? And I wanted to choose a job where there was a NAV 20s presence, which is kind of the next step in a lot of NAV lives. If you want a community, you can go from the collegiate to the 20s. And so in Oklahoma City, I knew that there was a new NAV 20s group that had just started while I was in college. And so that really helped me to want to stay in Oklahoma City and search for a job and all of those kinds of things. And so I got the opportunity then to play it out after coming back from Cambridge by getting connected again with somebody to continue to pour into me and also searching out guys that I can continue to meet with and continue to teach the things that you taught me a few years ago. Hmm. What are you most encouraged by as you look back on your college discipleship experiences? I was most encouraged and am still most encouraged by the opportunity to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a tangible part of how I see it advancing and to feel like I matter in what the kingdom is doing hmm. because I can make a difference and I can contribute and that difference can continue to last as long as I keep investing because people will continue to invest in people and so on and so forth. The entire multiplication principle hits very close to home for me. And it's, it's one of the greatest and the most encouraging things about discipleship and, uh, being a disciple and making disciples. You know, there's things that I learned from you that I still use. The Remember Me software that we use to do scripture memory, how to have a quiet time is still largely based on observe, interpret, apply. Well, Clay, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to it yet, um, but by the time yours, this one that we're doing today is posted, uh, I will have posted one from a guy that you... Uh, help to disciple Andrew Nepler about a week before. You might want to listen to his because he makes a few statements about the things that he felt like were so significant for him that he learned in part from you. Uh, so I, I know if I was in your shoes, it would be very encouraging to, to hear, you know, that one of the guys I discipled is still feeling the strength of uh, the value that it gave to him 
Um, and when students are able to do this, I, it just uh, thrills me like nothing else. Um, so anyway, you want to listen to Andrew Nepler's on this same Radiate podcast. Thanks, Steve. And I really appreciate you putting these together. And this is just a big encouragement for me to continue to hear from guys like Andrew, who grew far beyond what I was able to to teach him in just his freshman year. But it's def- it's that encouragement. That's exactly what I was talking about with what keeps me going and energized in the kingdom is that as long as Andrew's still around, uh, the investment that I made, the time that I put into that matters and will hopefully matter to people that he meets with and on down the line. Well, Clay, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. It's fun to hear your thoughts, fun to hear how things have uh, progressed in your life, some of the new thinking that you've got, and just to hear again some of the things that I've known about you that uh, are now uh, in a repeated story. Uh, Fun to, to catch up on and hear again. So anyway, good to have you on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for tuning in to Radiate. You can continue to listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect to us online at osunavs.org and on Instagram at osunavs. See you next time. And until then, keep radiating the message of Jesus.